Well, hello, Timberline. What a delight that we get to be together this week again. Last week, we're in this series, as you know already, called What Just Happened? Last week, it was Generosity Happened. This week, I get to speak to you about Justice and Mercy Happened. Here's the scene. It's May of 1959. I am uh, a 17-year-old. Two months into my 17th year, my sister Luann has just gotten married in Oakland, California, and I'm part of the chase crew. Back in the day, for those of you who are younger, back in the day, after they had all the festivities, people would chase the guys in the wedding car. You had tin cans tied to the back, making all kinds of racket. You had soap or whipping cream or something, shaving cream on the windows and all of that sort of thing. And so we're downtown Oakland and they're trying to get away from me. And I'm like in the Grand Prix, right? I'm taking a right, taking a left, doing a U-turn, coming back, all of that. And uh, I was doing pretty well. I was staying with them until I heard the siren. And I looked in my rearview mirror of that 1957 Plymouth. Relatively new car by those standards. And I saw the red lights. And I had a sense in my heart. I don't think I framed it this way. But looking back, justice had arrived. <laughs> I, knew, I knew it wasn't mercy. Justice had arrived. And so within days, I'm standing in Juvenile Hall, Oakland, California, Ju Juvenile Court, Oakland, California, with my pastor father before a judge trying to explain why I had been ticketed for driving on the wrong side of the road, going too fast, making it illegal. You, you know, just a couple stuff, like, a couple things like that. At that moment, I had to pay money. I didn't lose my license. Some mercy was exhibited. So I got justice and mercy sort of in the same week in that particular setting. When we talk about justice and mercy in the context of scripture, there are hundreds of verses, scores of passages dealing with those issues because they are close to the heart of God. So if you're taking notes, if you have your uh, digital note thing there, point one, justice and mercy express God's heart. Justice and mercy express God's heart. I mean, Old Testament, New Testament, Let's just hear a little bit of it. And I'm going to share quite a few scriptures with you today. His voice is better than mine anyway. You know, there's some sense in which I don't need to comment on what God says, but we do anyway because we're trying to grapple with what it means today oftentimes. But listen to this from the Torah, Deuteronomy 32nd chapter, fourth verse. He is the rock. His works are perfect. All his ways are just, a faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. How about the New Testament? Moving ahead to Jesus showing up in our lives. And this is how it reads in Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, you and I. So we know the justice of God and the mercy of God for ourselves. 
It's who he is. Read the story. There it is again and again, over and over. Small or great, he provides a way through and a way out. Point two, justice and mercy are intertwined. They're not opposites. They're not over here and over there. They're intertwined. Ruth and I um, like spending time in the garden. I never used to like to spend time in the garden. Ruth's a farm girl from Central California, and she says when she, when she puts her hand in the soil or in the dirt, she feels connected to God. It's elemental for her. For me, when I put my hands in the dirt, it feels like I have my hands in the dirt. Anyway, that's beside the point. We've planted flowers and she sort of sucked me into that arena and now I like the roses and I like the lilacs and all the stuff we have going. But recently we had a little tree die and we planted another one and it's a kind of a willow tree that has um, trunks that intertwine. And I think we have a picture of it here, but it's, it's just uh, an interesting look actually because there's a kind of connection, a kind of expression that you wouldn't otherwise see. And you can read scripture after scripture where you see these two pieces in play. Listen to Proverbs 31, eight and nine. Proverbs 31, eight and nine. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor, and the needy. It's fascinating how much justice and mercy are connected with people who perhaps by economics or by race or by distance or by creed are discounted or not uh, seen valuable enough for justice and mercy. And God keeps speaking to that again and again. Psalm 146 verses five through nine says it this way, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners, the, the travelers. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. And you have this sense when you think about it. You have this sense when you hear those verses that here is the God who looks around and says, who really needs this? Who really, who really is in a place where they could get need comfort and respond to care and know what it is to have a home or know what it is to have somebody step into the place of a father or a mother and care for them. America is in a tremendous season of turmoil. We know this, I'm not telling you anything new. And God tends to speak in moments like this. He speaks into culture. You know, it's easier to see injustice than to see justice a lot of times because injustice looks like sort of a tobacco stain on a white wedding dress or something. And I think in these days, we who are believers need to be on our knees with God saying to him, 
because he wants to respond to us. We need to figure this out. We need to recognize what is true about life or data or facts. We need to do our best to recognize what is true and believe it. We need to figure out what is wrong and correct it. And we need to look at the future and dream for it. No one is better equipped in these days to unleash God's grace than you and I are. If we call ourselves believers in the Most High God, trusters in Jesus, if you will, we are citizens of the most powerful nation on earth. Those of you folks here in this area that I'm speaking with. But more than that, we are citizens of another kingdom. And it's that that is the place that has the larger and the clearer view. And we need to stand there and look. We need to operate out through that lens. You say, well, that's not easy. No, it's not easy. The times aren't easy. But I think the Lord is calling us as the church to have our hearts turned that direction. So it's, in, it's interesting that when you read these texts about justice, and there are scores more of them, that, that there's not as much talk about justice as punishment, like the red lights in my rearview mirror. There's not as much talk about that in the justice arena, what we would call punitive justice, as there is, although there is that, as there is about what we would call restorative justice. Most often, point three, biblical justice restores. Most often, biblical justice restores. There are a couple of iconic stories, stories that are classics, if you will. One of them, the prodigal son, would probably be the best short story ever written. It's got all the parts. It's got drama. It's got characters. It has intrigue. It has loss and gain and all of that. But there's another story of a similar kind found in John the eighth chapter. And it's one of my favorites. This is how it reads. John 8, 2 through 11. At dawn, he appeared, Jesus, again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. So here's essentially a group of religious lawyers. Okay? They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They didn't care about the woman. They just wanted to take Jesus out, okay? So they used other people. This is what people often do who don't have your best in their hearts. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I don't know, I, I think this is correct, that there's no other place in the gospels where Jesus would have written and he wrote in sand, in the dirt. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time when he threw down the gauntlet to them. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. 
Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has, has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then, neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. I love this story. I love this story simply because there's so many places in my life where I could have been condemned for things that I might have done or said or acted out. And someone came along and showed me in the middle of that moment mercy. But this particular story is that this woman is brought, she's standing there, and Jesus doesn't respond to their challenge. He just kneels down in front of the woman, in front of all of them, and starts writing in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. Um, commentators have speculated for years what he wrote. Maybe he's writing the names or addresses of women they've been with, or maybe he's writing their sin. We, you know, we don't know. It's always fun to imagine. And, um, but, the, but the point is this, that when he said, he who has never had a problem, he who has never missed the mark, which is the word for sin, he who has never crossed the line, go ahead, hit her with the rocks. And in my mind, in my little imagination, I hear the sound and she hears the sound of stones being dropped on the ground. And it says that they left the eldest to the youngest, the eldest first. They, obviously they had more, right? So they left and Jesus stands back up, looks at her, says, women, where are they? Who condemns you? She says, no one. And he says, me neither, go and sin no more. If I were to put it in today's jargon, he would be saying, you are a great lady. And that's not the kind of thing great ladies do. So don't go there anymore. When I reflect on that, I reflect on the context, I reflect on the culture, I reflect, reflect on their bias, on their blame. And this scene played out in nine short sentences. Nine sentences captures justice and mercy in a powerful way that has played out over the last 2,000 years. Can you feel the emotion? Can you, can you see the truth here? For the rest of her life, that's a moment that defines who she is. She thought she had been defined by these other people, defined by her own economic need, perhaps. And the God of all the universe in Jesus the Christ defines her in one sentence. Both paraphrase, you're a great lady, and that's not the kind of thing great ladies do. Don't do that anymore. For the rest of her life, as her children grew, how would she speak of that moment? Because the town knew, right? If it's a village, the village knows. When she later head down to sleep every night to know that here I am, a person who has been shown mercy. I identify with that. I identify with having been shown mercy. Mercy's what we all want. And, and by the way, I, I would submit that she never got over it and she never wanted to. Mercy, number four, mercy is what we all want. We all want mercy. Had a lady come into my office years ago. 
I was a young pastor. She had had a tiff with some other lady. And she came in and she sat down and she said, Pastor, you need to do something about that lady. You need to do something about them. And I said, well, what would you, what would you want me to do about her? She said, well, she need, what, what we need here is justice. That's what we need. And I just said, okay, well, why don't we, why don't we start with you? And she said, well, that, you know, I, didn't, I didn't mean that. <laughs> she reflected exactly who I am in a lot of ways. I'd like justice for me, and, or excuse me, I'd like mercy for me and justice for you. That's, that's how we human beings tend to be if we're not careful. And here is the God who comes along and says, I'll give you justice and mercy all at one shot. That's what I'll do. I, um, I like what John Rawls says when he says this, we all make errors and without mercy, we would all owe more than we can pay. We all make errors. And without mercy, we, will all, we would all owe more than we can pay. So mercy is the wisdom and courage not to exact justice when it would create continued or additional harm. Mercy sees that sometimes, sometimes, forgiveness is more just than mere justice. I want to read that one more time. So mercy is the wisdom and courage not to exact justice when it would create continued or additional harm. Mercy sees that sometimes forgiveness is more just than mere justice. Tim Keller, uh, pastor emeritus at Redeemer Presbyterian New York City um, and a wonderful Bible scholar and lots of people read him and listen to him. He came at it a little more directly because mercy and grace are siblings, right? And uh, they're of the same kind. This is what he says. If a person has grasped the meaning of God's grace in his heart, he will do justice. He or she will do justice. If they've grasped God's grace in their heart. If he doesn't live justly, then he may say with his lips that he's grateful for God's grace, but in his heart, he is far from him. If he doesn't care about the poor, it reveals that at the best, he doesn't understand the grace he has experienced. And at worst, he has not really encountered the saving mercy of God. Grace should make you just. Grace should make you just. Finally, point five, justice pursued and mercy given brings freedom. Justice pursued and mercy given brings freedom. A few years back when Ruth and I were in Washington, D.C., um, a person famed for gospel music and for gospel gatherings, his name is Bill Gaither, he came to town. A friend of mine was a friend of his, and we were at a dinner with about six or eight people in an old house over on the Virginia, Virginia side of the Potomac River. And uh, at the end of the time, my friend said, Bill, let's go downstairs where the grand piano is and why don't you play for us? He said, oh, I don't do that much anymore. And he said, no, come on. So we walked down there and sat down and he started playing and we started singing the songs we knew. And pretty soon my friend said, so what of all the songs you have written surprised you the most? And he said this one. And he started playing this song, the verse of it goes like this. 
shackled by a heavy burden neath a load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I'm no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. Yes, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Bill Gaither said, I had no idea that that little song and that little chorus would be translated into, I think he said, 80 languages or something. Went around the world more times than I know. I had no idea. And when he said that, I had a flashback to being a young pastor taking University of Illinois students to Mexico twice a year. And we were in the town of Guaymas, which is over in Sonora State on the Gulf of California. So you have Baja California, then the Gulf of California, then Sonora State in Mexico. And um, we were going to the Carcel Publica, going to go to the city jail. And it was this old sort of massive Victorian structure. And we walked in. And I was nervous as all get out because the people we it was an open yard. And we walked in and you had people that looked like they had to have killed 23 people. I mean, they were just, they had scars and all kinds of things. And we got up there and a friend of ours preached in Spanish. I didn't understand all of it. I understand, understood sort of the heart of it. And at the end of it, he said, let's sing. And guys with guitars came forward and they started to sing this song. He touched me. In Spanish, it's, it is, um, me ha tejado. He touched me. And as they started to sing that, I looked at these hard, bitten, tough prisoners, and numbers of them, tears started rolling down their cheeks. And when the invitation was given, I don't know, two dozen of these guys came forward. There is no better image of justice and mercy than Jesus on the cross, who takes the justice part on himself. All that stuff you've done, Dick, give it to me. I'll take that. I'll take your burden. Yes, it will kill me. Yes, I will die. But in that, there is a mercy. I will swap you out. I will give you all of my joy and all of my power, all of my grace. He had mercy on us. And he endured the justice. Let me go back to Ephesians 2, where we started. Listen to how it reads. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And hear the word of the Lord again from the Old Testament, Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. If you're in the sound of my voice, you're viewing this, and you say, you know, uh, both I have, uh, I've known man's justice, and I desperately need God's mercy. I just have this to say to you. I believe today is your day. 
I'm going to pray a prayer as we close. I'm going to talk to Father God. And I'm going to speak as you might speak. And you just follow me out loud where you are. If you want to take that next step, if you want to step into the mercy, the river of grace that is expressed through Jesus Christ, I encourage you to do that right now. So I'm just going to pray in phrases and you follow me where you are. Dear Father, you know me. You know me better than I know myself. You know my history, all of the good, all of the bad, all of the ugly. I just want to say today, I know what punitive justice feels like. I ask for your restorative justice. And I, I long to know and to feel your mercy in my life. I confess to you, I cannot do this alone. I give you all that I am in this moment to start this journey with you. I receive your grace, your forgiveness, and a future in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Remember, justice and mercy go together. And they find that, they find their togetherness in Jesus. And he finds his togetherness in you. God bless.